worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at least. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 28 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I am joined with... I am the man from Ling, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. Hey, this is Nathan from Arkham Horror Images of Madness. Um, on Instagram, I have in no way kidnapped Vase for this episode, by the way. Just want to put it out there. Yeah, Vase has not been kidnapped, but he also will not be joining us this evening, unfortunately. But I think it's just his secret Mateo shame has finally reached such a degree that he's... He's been uh, excommunicated for a small portion of time. We'll have to... We'll have to... Uh, tread onward without him unfortunately but it's been a while what uh what you guys been up to lately uh, i have been uh doing channel stuff got some spoilers from ffg thankfully and uh have been re- revealing those have been of course we had the the big scarlet keys announcement that will be uh, i'm sure we'll be talking about here so that uh, that kept me busy at the uh beginning of july and so we're just doing a bunch of videos in the lead up to the release, which uh, I assume will happen some point later this year, maybe October. I don't know. I believe the official date is September 30th. Oh, well, even better. <laughs> and what about you, Nathan? Let's see. Arkham-wise, I've been doing my once-a-week group. We just started Dark Matter, fan-made scenario our campaign so good it it literally starts off the same as the path to carcosa but in space verbatim well no you start off going to a play because you read the intro that's true to yeah, the path yeah, to carcosa yeah. so you're like is this correct like am i supposed to be reading this because this is path to carcosa the first scenario but anyway you fall asleep and you wake up cryogenically frozen and the writing the writing is solid. It's like, it's perfectly paced. A lot of great words. Uh, I mean, it's like a short story. Just reading it off, I was very impressed. But it gave Aliens slash Solaris slash um, Event Horizon vibes. Very yeah. creepy, very poignant, and a great connection to the King in Yellow in the future. Like... I was really impressed with it. Very nice. Oh, sorry. And we're doing Scooby-Doo characters through it. So I am playing Fred. I'm using traps. Uh, my my two compatriots, one of them's doing Vincent Van Gogh, and the other one is doing Velma. Sounds cool. <laughs> what classes are you guys? They were put up on uh, the, the main Arkham Horror, the card game group. If you look up Scooby-Doo, they'll pop right up. Um... They're pretty well balanced. They're a lot of fun. You don't feel like you're playing Scooby-Doo characters, really. You feel like you're just playing a character because they've got you know the regular stat lines and and all that. But um, tons of fun. I mean, highly recommend them. We we first played them during the whatever the cost fan campaign that I was running. We're on the sixth uh, month of that, by the way, the final month uh, with a lot of great prizes and stuff. So people should check that out. But um, no, it's it's just been a blast. Been having fun with it. Yeah, speaking of uh, fan content, I've been playing through Cyclopean Foundations with uh, Matastrophic and Kodab Games, both friends of the channel. We've been playing it on Twitch every Sunday morning, and that's been 
quite fun as well. It's nice to delve into fan content as there's been a bit of a a lull between major releases. It's kind of nice now to have the time to explore that uh that content that you may not otherwise feel like you have the time for when you know new mythos packs were coming out month to month. So it's been fun. I've been enjoying. Uh, I've been enjoying the campaign, and it's been fun playing with Matt and playing with Kodab. It's kind of strange playing three-player after playing so much two-player and solo. Like, the way I've built my deck is definitely much different than the way I would build my deck for for those lower player counts. So it's been sort of a challenge to, like, get over in a way. So, you know, like, those play patterns in solo sort of get ingrained to your brain after you do it for so long that... Playing in multiplayer is kind of a different beast, so it's been fun to uh, to get through the game in that way. But as Men from Lang had mentioned a few minutes ago, there has been the announcement of the Scarlet Keys, and over the past month or so we've seen major content creators for the game release spoilers um mythos busters playing board games drums of the flame etc etc um people have been nice enough to compile the spoilers in our discord server if you want to check them out for yourself you can be sure to check out the various content creators posting them then come and hang out in the discord and chat about them but i'm curious you guys uh what has you most excited for the upcoming release. I'm looking forward to the campaign, uh, although I did say that about uh, Edge of the Earth as well, and I have yet to uh, to play that soon. This month, I'm hoping I will uh, have that on the channel. But uh, yeah, the the uh, the non linearity of the campaign sounds uh, sounds pretty interesting. You'll from from what we understand, you'll everybody will start with sort of a the start scenario and then from there you'll be able to pick and choose which scenarios you want to play and that will all lead up to a big grand finale scenario i know at gen con uh, maxine and uh, some of the other ffg staff were showing off the map of the uh, or the map of the world that has all of the campaign locations on it as well as uh, a lot of the locations that go with the side scenarios that have been published, like Curse of the Rougarou and whatnot. So I think they're encouraging, or at least the campaign will be encouraging you to incorporate those scenarios in the campaign as well, which I think is a, an interesting uh, tactic. I think sometimes those side scenarios get forgotten, and so this uh, you'll have no reason, uh, no excuse, I guess, not to play them. But uh, yeah, I like the... Uh, the the uh, antagonists sound uh, pretty interesting as well. The uh, the red gloved man being uh, chief among them, we'll get to to face off against him, which uh, which is pretty exciting. There was an old Call of Cthulhu LCG cycle they did that I think they're drawing a lot of the imagery from, so it'll be uh, interesting to see how how those two stack up. But I imagine it'll be with uh, be quite a different uh, campaign from from the old uh, Call of Cthulhu LCG format. So I'm looking forward to that. It's not going to be black and white, right? It, I think Maxine talked about how it's going to be smaller 
vignette type stories, not as as giant and epic, but it's going to be not, you can't tell who's good and who's bad necessarily. It's going to be shades of gray, or in this case, I guess, shades of scarlet, but same basic effect. Yeah, that's the impression I got from from the material they've released so far was that uh, it'll be up to the players to pick and choose who they want to ally with. If you want to ally with the presumed good guys, you can do that. If you want to ally with the uh, the group that the red-gloved man represents, I think that'll be an option as well. So I think uh, players will be spoiled for choice when they sit down to to plot their way through uh, through the upcoming campaign. Yeah, almost a mix of um, picking sides for the Forgotten Age, but also the major groups in the Circle Undone with the Coven and the Silver Twilight Lodge, etc. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. You had mentioned earlier, Man from Lang, about the incorporation of those uh, side scenarios, and I'm curious because they mentioned how time is a important mechanic in the campaign. So I'm I'm curious to see how how they balance the the idea of like including side scenarios in a campaign that's sort of like all about running the clock and making sure that you have enough time to do the objectives that you want to complete. Yeah, I'm I don't know very much about uh, I mean I, they, I don't think they've really gone into a lot of detail about the campaign itself. So that is certainly something that'll be they'll have to to answer is how you know, if you take the time to do one of these side scenarios, is it how much is it going to count against the clock that you're that you're racing against? But I'm sure they will uh, they will figure it out, and it will be uh, it'll be a seamless mechanic. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, this leads me on a bit of a side tangent. Speaking of side scenarios and how they're sort of left in the in the shade of the campaigns, do you guys play the side scenarios often? No, <laughs> no, I, I tend to, I've actually got a backlog of side scenarios that I have yet to play. And I tend to play either uh, standalone in which I'll just play the scenarios I, I like the most, or I'll play uh, a campaign and I don't always make it through entire campaigns. I'm usually testing a deck. So I'll, I'll test a deck, say for four or five scenarios, and and see how it works, and and then I'll get bored, and then move on to another another deck and another campaign. Yeah. What about you, Nate? Uh, I quite like the the two Egypt scenarios, so I, I do find myself playing those quite a bit, especially if I want to test some standalone deck, because that that scenario, that first one, is kind of a gauntlet. So I feel like it's a pretty good test for for your decks. Um, I'd like Carnival as well. I don't find myself including side scenarios into my campaigns as I find that the experience you spend often isn't really worth the reward you get out of them, es- especially because some of those are pretty hard. So unless you have like something particular in mind, like Calvin getting the reward from Curse of Ruguru or whatever... Um, I don't really find them to be worth it. I do find them enjoyable to play in standalone mode, however. Excelsior is another great exception, uh, great example as well. I like that scenario quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's also 
one of the key reasons why Nicholas got Corey got hired on to FFG because of his great work with it. Um, you know, I really like the standalones, but I don't. It almost feels like punishment adding them into campaigns because if you are doing okay and then you step into Curse of the Rugru or you know whatever and get thrashed and get trauma and stuff, and then you limp back to okay, where was I in the main campaign? So, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel too, Nathan. Yeah, but um, but I play a lot of standalones and I play a lot of fan-made stuff. Um, so I mean, in general, I love them. Yeah, and I should say the way I actually play campaigns is that I tend to play like if I'm I'm usually working on a particular deck, and so I'll I'll tend to I'm not necessarily playing one scenario once. So if I play it and I'm like oh, I think the deck could do better, I'll probably tweak the deck and then play it again. And then once I'm satisfied, the deck has has a handle on that scenario. I'll move on to the next scenario, and then sort of build build or change the deck around so it will work in that scenario and see, you know, okay, if I want to be able to beat something like Dim Carcosa, what kind of deck do I need to build to be able to, to get to that point and do well in all the intervening scenarios. So quick pop, pop question, favorite standalone scenario official. And if you have one favorite standalone scenario fan made, so my favorite official standalone scenario is Carnival of Horrors. Something about it, I just dig it. Uh, my favorite fan-made standalone scenario is Against the Wendigo, uh, which has great flavor and art to it. Um, Nate, do you have a favorite for either? Uh, let's see. Favorite standalone currently? You know... I really enjoy playing the blob. I think that's a scenario I find myself just putting on the table and playing. I, it's just a good scenario. It's just fun. I don't know. There's just something about that scenario I enjoy quite a bit. So I'd, I'm going to say that one. Spice, th spice things up a little bit. Though I do like Eternal Slumber quite a bit as well. Uh, and as far as fan-made ones go... Ooh, Against the Wendigo is a good one. Um, hmm... I'll have to get back to you on that one. I don't think I've played any of the standalones enough to actually have a favorite. I'm so far behind on them that uh, I'm 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 have machinations and War of the Outer Gods sitting on my desk here. Oh, I haven't played either of those. <laughs> so <laughs> they could be my my new favorites. I feel like the 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 massive multiplayer ones I feel are harder for me to get on the table because they're meant to be played in massive groups playing them solo i feel like kind of you lose some of that in a way yeah as a predominantly solo player massive multiplayer scenarios are uh, uh, tough but but we had gotten on a tangent uh talking about scarlet keys and the campaign itself nathan what uh what are you excited about you're always sort of a a content consumer. Well, yeah. I mean, in general, I do. I, I really appreciate the ambiance and flavor and the the upcoming, like, mystique and full world map. Kind of where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Uh, God, I don't know. Secret agent, you know. Uh, espionage, 1920s uh, cosmic horror. I think that's a really fun mix. So I'm not I'm not necessarily looking forward to anything in particular. I am really curious 
which we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, about how the customizable cards will work out. I've heard pros and cons from a lot of people, but I can't help but think that you spend as much as you want on them. You don't have to overspend. You can make a, they can be adaptable based on how you're doing in the scenario, how you're doing in the campaign. Uh, I think they're really cool. I'm not going to write on any of mine. I'll just jot down a few notes, you know? So I guess the only problem is, are they, pardon me, I don't know, are they unique? Uh, no. Okay, so then you'd have to figure out which of the cards have which abilities, right? Like if you had two axes or two weapons you'd have to know what which one had which ability because when no. you know no no it's it's it applies to both so if you once you buy one of the upgrades for say i'll just use hunter's armor because that's the video i did recently so hunter's armor has six or seven different abilities if you pay the experience for one of those abilities it's applies to both cards and technically you're you're getting two two or more copies for the experience you're spending so unlike a traditional card where you'd say pay three like if you wanted to buy an enchanted um, blade you'd have to spend three and three this you're spending three but you're getting you know a, a sort of a, a bunch of abilities that apply to two different cards so the xp ratio is slightly different which can i think lead to the system i think assumes that you are purchasing both cards and i think there may be cases again i'll just use hunter's armor as an example where it's a card i may only want one of but i think if you spend xp on it you're overspending and you're not getting value because it's because the xp is sort of considered to be for two cards and not one so you say spend five xp on hunter's armor it assumes you have two copies of hunter's armor so you've actually kind of only spent two and a half xp so if you just buy one copy of hunter's armor you spent five xp but you're not getting five xp worth of worth of goodies out of it so i think that's that's potentially would that make an, you an lean issue. into always playing two? Uh, it would make me lean into picking a different card. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. <laughs> to, to, to just not playing it at all and finding, like, uh, again, I'm using Hunter's Armor because I just did, did a video about it and I know it the best. But say on Hunter's Armor, you have the option. I think it's spending two XP to to boost how much health and sanity it can absorb. It starts with two and two, and then for two XP, it can it can take another two uh, horror or uh, two damage. And I think if if that's what you want it for, you're probably better off looking at some other thing for soak. Right, because it's, it's two ticks per one experience, right? Rounded up? Yes. So if, so if you want to spend one tick, you have to spend one experience? Yes. So there's like weird thresholds sometimes where like, you you use three ticks, but it still costs you two XP. So then you're sort of like, oh, well, do I invest more into it now? To like say like you were only planning on getting durable or you were only planning on getting hex drinker, but now you feel like you're wasting a point. So now you also get enchanted as well, just because you have the extra point lying around. Like, 
there's also kind of awkward situations like that as well that can come yeah. up. Yeah, I think it's going to I think the community is going to figure them out for the, the customizable cards pretty quickly. And there's probably going to be probably per campaign sort of a way that you want to upgrade them. Yeah, I, I that's kind of how I feel about them is like there there will be sort of a de facto way of playing them. And then there may be some sort of like sub variant of those like the equipment and forgotten. Age. Yeah, kind of. In, yeah, in a similar I think regard. That's, I think that's a good comparison. You know that you sort of, when you do a Forgotten Age campaign, you sit down and you pick certain equipment based on your group. And I think that's what's going to happen with the customizable cards is you're going to look at the sheet and you're going to say, okay, well, I need this and that and the next thing. And and the rest of the, the upgrades may be for like if you're building a standalone deck or something like that you might say okay for this particular scenario i want this particular ability but most of the time that ability won't get picked yeah which to be fair isn't a bad thing by any means you know yeah my my biggest issue with the customizable cards is that every time i look at the upgrade sheets my eyes just glaze over it's just a a a huge wall of text and i know that there are abilities on the card but i just can't be bothered to read through all that it's just too too much i think i kind of sit somewhere in the middle i kind of feel the same way as you man from ling where i look on the back back side of the card and i go oh geez all right hold on <laughs> like hold on i need i need a cup of coffee i need to straighten my glasses clean them off real quick let me read this and then okay maybe i understand this and I'm going to take the path of least resistance. I feel most of the time I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to play the card I already know is good and then kind of go from there, which I feel is maybe just kind of a, a byproduct of being a veteran player is like, I already know a bunch of these cards work and that ends up being like 25 out of 30, 30 cards in a deck. And so it's really like I'm picking five or six cards and a customizable card like that just feels like too much work sometimes. Yeah. Well, I know when I played Forgotten Age, you know, after the first couple times, I'm just like, I'm not going to sit down and pick equipment. <laughs> I just I just want to play. I don't want to have to sit here and and think about what uh, mixture of equipment I, I want to pick. And, and I have a feeling that I'm going to have the same approach to customizable cards. It's like, if there's one that I feel like really suits the deck I'm building, then I'll sit down and make the effort to, to sort of figure out what I want to do with it. But I think a lot of the time I'll just sort of look at it and go like, yeah, I could play this card, but I can also just play this other card over here and it will do pretty much what I want. See, that's funny because I really like the... I still like supplies in TFA. That's like part of my enjoyment of playing that campaign is like figuring out what supplies I want to take. Oh, it's always funny to like hear people say stuff about that. But anyway, yeah, customizable is interesting. I think for me, what has me most interested is, you know, obviously the campaign itself. You know, I'm super into globetrotting adventures in the 1920s, uh, especially reading through masks of Naralethotep over the past couple of months of like seeing little subtle references to things that are also mentioned in that campaign being mentioned and various little 
art snippets and things like that. And this is really kind of fun to see as well. Yeah, so I've been enjoying that quite a bit over the, the spoiler season. And I am f- relieved, finally, that we are receiving, in fact, cards that do stuff with Doom. It's only been like seven years or whatever, but we're there and it's I'm I'm here for it and it's great. Yeah, the thing that I'm I'm quite excited about, or I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if they if they actually pull this off, is that uh uh, they have the new concealed keyword for uh, for enemies, and so they'll be theoretically much like I, I sort of see it working similar to aloof. There'll be enemies on the table that just sort of don't interact with the players in a traditional way. We don't really know much more about it right now, but I know that you know when we have been uh, re-reviewing the revised core and uh, Dunwich Legacy Investigator expansion for the benefit of new players over on the channel and you know Matastrophic Nate and I have talked a lot about sort of these cards that were designed for a, an alternate dimension Arkham Horror where enemies are either tough to to kill or stick around a lot longer than they do and I've seen a few cards now that have been spoiled that sort of seem to imply that enemies are going to be sticking around a lot longer than you would expect. And so I'm curious to find out whether they actually pull that off and whether, um, whether it's the, the concealed keyword is the, the mechanic they're using to do that or just the nature of the enemies in the set. But some of these cards that encourage players to keep enemies around actually do what they're intended and enemies stick around rather than just sort of being one and done. Yeah, I I think part of that too is that we do have an investigator, the rogue investigator, that's all about evasion as well and like keeping enemies on the board to like get some extra benefit. So I'm wondering if like, part of that design is also because of that investigator. Yeah, it was, I think it was, there was, there were a couple of cards spoiled in the preview article. I can't remember the guardian one, but it sort of implied that, you know, enemies would be sticking around for more than an action or two. And then the, the mystic card power word, which was sort of manipulating enemies to do all sorts of stuff. And, you know, up to this point, there really hasn't been much point in keeping enemies on the table and so power word seems to suggest that that's a viable option we'll have to wait and see whether that turns out to be true or not because it you know the sort of the way that the game is played right now power a card like power word just seems to be doesn't really seem to fit with how the game is played but we'll see the one thing that kind of worries me about that is if if what you're saying is true and enemies are sort of designed to stick around the board is that makes the solo experience really shitty <laughs> you know like if enemies are staying on the board and they're they're unkillable you know the solo player just ends up with like two or three enemies on the board and then it's curtains at that point and that it leads to a frustrating experience that I think most people would agree is 
unfun. Yeah, I was. I actually, I hadn't thought of that, but uh, I think that's a good point. the The concern I had about it was from a from the strangely the multiplayer perspective, where say you have your guardian and your mystic at the table, and the mystic is playing a card like Power Word that wants enemies to stick around and wants to be able to manipulate them, and the guardian's kind of like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Mm. Yeah, my job is to kill these damn things and you want to keep them around. And so I don't know if that's, you know, I don't I don't know how you sort that out. I think in that situation, you sort it out by saying this is our plan to deal with enemies, you know, and you you don't maybe you just don't have a guardian in a, a team like that. Maybe you have someone like Rita where Rita can sort of like keep enemies at bay and then you can like use power word to like keep a particularly annoying enemy. I don't know, maybe something like that, but I feel like in solo, like once you get like two or three enemies on you, the game is over. Like there's just no way to recover once you have like two or three enemies on you for a turn or two. Yeah. I'm, I'm keeping an open mind about it because I mean, we thus far, you know, six or seven years into the game, they haven't really, there have been the odd enemy that sort of fits with, you know, tough enemies to kill. I mean, we always point to cards like the conglomeration of spheres is a tough one. I think you could probably throw the mindless dancers in there as, as being, you know, difficult to deal with tons of health, not easy to fight, you know, probably better to, and the fact that they, you know, we'll leave the table and then reappear is really, it doesn't, you know, killing them doesn't really help you. <laughs> you sort of want to control them until you can be done with them. So we've seen a couple of enemies like that, but it's, it's just never been consistent and we'll have to wait and see whether maybe, maybe it's the concealed keyword. Maybe it's the, the, the effect of this new investigator, who wants to to keep enemies around to evade them to to do other effects stuff like that whether sort of the the sum total of all that means enemies are sticking around longer but i agree with you i think if again we don't know what concealed does but if i think if it worked similar to aloof it probably wouldn't be too bad where in, at least in solo, so you wouldn't end up getting mobbed. But I, I have a feeling it's going to be like the preview article seemed to suggest that the concealed enemies would be concealed until there was a trigger. And I think the trigger was like a location came on the table. And then all of a sudden, I think if you were playing solo and if you had a couple of these concealed enemies, <laughs> then suddenly it's just like you get jumped by by just too much. And then at that point, you're done. So that that is somewhat of a concern. I also kind of wondered, to like the thing it reminded me of was, I don't know if any of you have played the, the Game of Thrones LCG, but the shadow mechanic in that. You need Matt on the show for that one. Yeah, there, there'd be... There was a there's a shadow mechanic in the game where cards are sort of placed out of play and then depending on the trigger they will come into play. Kind of reminds me of like pursuit almost or um, 
sort of like that first portion of at death's doorstep where the enemies like start out of play and then once you flip the agenda over that's when they enter play but i I'm, i feel like concealed they have to be sort of on the table somewhere if some of these like controlling enemy effects are to actually work mm. yeah i don't i guess we'll have to wait and see like you've been saying so i mean that's the that's the the most interesting part i think is is a the campaign and b how these enemies are actually going to to function as for the the player cards i mean i've seen they seem to be releasing them at a pretty steady clip here over the past month or so and and uh they seem okay but i haven't really seen any that really excite me yet which is concerning but i mean the card pool has grown so large that any card that is released now has a lot of is going to immediately have a lot of competition for for deck slots that kind of brings us up to a point that we had kind of talked about in the green room was the idea of potential burnout or feeling like analysis paralysis when it comes to new cards where it's like oh well i don't know how this new card is going to play out so i'll just keep playing the cards i already know are good i think for me one way of like actually getting them into a sleeve and into into a deck is just to simply limit my card pool and just to kind of force me to play it but i'm curious to to hear what you guys think about having to uh, or not having to but but playing newer cards and seeing seeing how they stack up and and what your process is with that in a way we talked about last couple episodes here and there like nate already alluded i feel like i have expressed before that i just appreciate having content because like lord of the rings uh man from lang that i know you play you can go back and enjoy the content years after it's done or when you have more time. But for me, I like to, I kind of like to do in pockets, I guess, where I'll do, I'll kind of do a progression style one time where I can only play with the base card stuff, then I can only play when you add Dunnage. Um, sometimes when it comes to a new set like um, Edge of the Earth, I like to play just a lot of cards from that set, not just rest on my laurels from pre established cards and combos. But, you know, try things out. Um, so I think a mix of doing progression and then also doing like almost like it's self-contained. And since we have them by the large big box with both the campaign and then, of course, the other box with all the investigator stuff, it's something that you can actually do. It's a little more viable. Yeah, I find as a solo player, I, I tend to be pretty ruthless with the cards that are putting in, I'm putting in my deck because... Playing solo requires you to play very efficient cards, and so I find I tend to take less chances on... Cut out flavor, novelty, or whatever, and just go for what you think is going to get the job done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's nice to... I mean, there are lots of fun, interesting cards in the game, but when you're sitting down to play true solo, those cards tend not to work very well because you simply don't have the time to invest in them before they actually pay off. And so I tend to be pretty ruthless with the new cards I play. They really sort of need to be at or above the curve in order to get um, played. But 
I think I think it was uh, Scott from Mythos Busters who posted on our on the the uh, Great Old Ones Gaming Discord. He had mentioned uh, the idea of sort of building the deck that you want to play, and then setting that aside, and building a new deck that doesn't use any of those cards, as a way of 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 incorporating newer cards into the game and and he seemed to suggest that it worked out pretty well that the the card pool is deep enough now that you can build the deck with the the very high efficiency cards and then take all those cards out and put in the other cards you may not play and still do pretty well so that that's certainly an interesting idea to that's worth considering yeah that is that is interesting actually because you could definitely do that in Mystic. Like Mystic seems like an easy class, I think, for something like that because all the spells sort of function the same way. So replacing your Shriveling with Azure Flame isn't really going to change much. But that's interesting. I like that idea. I've also really enjoyed watching JP's series where he just takes a core set and then whatever uh, campaign that he's playing through, like a uh, oh my god, my cat, shut up. In the arms of- <laughs> Yeah, I, I think for me, it it's a combination of restricting my card pool and seeing kind of in the same vein, but doing what JP does in essence, but then maybe adding an extra cycle or two in there just to grab an extra card or two. But I think one way that I find myself playing newer cards is simply just playing the newer investigators because more recent card design has been in more geared towards those investigators if that makes sense like charlie kane is obviously going to have a bunch of cards in the box that support what he wants to do and same with you know all the other investigators in the box and they did the same thing with the edge of the earth as well and you know i i think that's in part because it's good design to do that but also in part that you know, for newer players just getting into the game, that they have a competent deck when they buy a corset and this box. So it's it's interesting to see because I would imagine that the designers kind of envision players doing that. And it's fun to like kind of play through the designers' intentions, so to speak, where you have like a limited card pool and you're playing these newer cards and seeing how they interact. And with newer investigators you end up kind of needing all of the newer cards anyway. Like I can't imagine playing Amina with cards that aren't in this set just because there aren't enough cards that don't add doom to them or interact with doom on them in the card pool currently. So yeah, I've, I've played with a limited card pool on my channel in the past and it was a, it was a lot of fun trying to figure out how to build a deck with say the core set and the circle undone or something like that. Just, really limiting yourself and your options and seeing what you which cards can fill which holes in the deck and and that was uh that was quite a lot of fun we've also done chaos challenges too which are fun for those unaware it's where you go onto arkham db and there's a button that just lets you uh, create a chaos deck out of with any investigator it just takes one of any random card in their card pool and just mashes it all together and that could be that can be fun as well, because not only is it just the challenge of playing a deck you didn't build yourself, but then you're also playing with cards you may have never played with before, and like seeing how they function is, is kind of nice. And there are a lot of cards that 
you end up sort of valuing just because of their skill icons. And I remember doing that challenge really made me realize just how damn good skill icons are. Because <laughs> there's a lot you could do with just having a couple skill icons on your cards. And Cat, I swear to God. Yeah, I think I think doing something like that can really help help you reevaluate cards that you may not necessarily play as often as as sort of the staples that you've seen. I know I've I've done it a couple times with Jim Culver and um, Jim works particularly well because he can take cards from pretty much any class. Uh, you only get five of them, but whenever you do a chaos challenge, you never know which five you're going to get. So. Uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes you find, you know, cards that you weren't expecting to, that you would probably never play, turn out to be better than you expected. So, and uh, just as a counterpoint, without trying to do so with what you were saying, Man from Lang, where you like to min max and and really go for the throat, which is great. Uh, I kind of do the opposite. Like for the deck I built with Fred Jones from Mystery Incorporated. Obviously, playing for fun. Uh, for the Dark Matter campaign, I purposely put in a Kukri. Why? 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 Just because I know it gets a lot of hate, but I, I like the fact that if I tag something, especially if it's a difficult monster or has retaliate um, or whatever, I always have the option to just spend an action, twist the blade and do a damage. So that's fun. And then I've, I've put in other cards that are lackluster, but I like the flavor of them. And I almost always find a way to use them efficiently, even if they're not optimal. So I don't personally care. Like, I just take my time. I'm, I'm enjoying the game for the atmosphere, the camaraderie, the adventure. I don't care about winning or losing necessarily, although, of course, I try to win and often do uh, in general. But the bigger card pool, once again, just means that the more cards I can fool around with and and just enjoy down the way. This man over here saying he likes to win, but also playing Kukri in his deck. You can't I, have it both I ways, killed, Nathan. Listen, bitch. <laughs> I killed several things with the Kukri and had fun doing it. So I killed several swarms of And rats. you know what? It's entirely possible to kill things with the Kukri. That's not, that's not in dispute. It's the actions you waste along the way killing things with the Kukri. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean, it's not as efficient, but, you know. Um, I've been watching Forged and Fire, of course, uh, in the background here and there. And, of course, they're making kukris. And I'm like, yeah, see? They get it. They're not making machetes. Yeah, and in Mask of Naralethotep, there's a bunch of uh, cultists that have kukris. So that's fun. I think maybe I'm a cultist. I don't know where you're going with that one, but um, uh, and I forgot to. Much where I was going with it. I forgot to mention this earlier, but um, in case for time stamping this uh, episode coming back, people listening to it or listen to it currently, been really enjoying the Sandman on Netflix. So good. Uh, I haven't watched. So it good. Eleven out of ten. It's just. I mean, I remember reading through the graphic novels back in the day, but the casting, the special effects, the flavor, really solid. I'm loving it. And then um, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really excited about Prey. The, uh, I think it's American or, or North American of sorts, uh, Native Americans back in the day with uh, Predator that come back 
comes back and hunts them and it won't like use advanced weaponry like it won't use atomic bombs or lasers or or whatever it will use more primitive uh items to hunt kind of to be on an equal level but everybody i've talked to said that it really blew them away too so just some really great television out there that i forgot to to drop earlier So, Edge of the Earth is, uh, or wow, uh, Edge of the Earth is already out, but um, Men from Ling, you have yet to actually play the campaign itself, so we won't we won't discuss the story parts of it. But maybe we could take a chance now that we've fully reviewed all uh, hundred something cards of it to take a chance and maybe go back and highlight some favorites of ours. Uh, why don't we start with you, Man from Lang? Yeah, I have uh, been enjoying playing uh, Schaffner's Catalog. That one has been uh, worked out really well. Uh, Burn After Reading has been uh, has been pretty effective for me uh, when I have needed uh, to pick up uh, clues without, uh, at, especially at high shroud locations. Nikosi turned out to be better than I thought in uh, in Jim. I thought uh, Nikosi really uh, added a, a, a pretty cool dimension to to Jim by turning pretty much every uh, symbol token in the bag into a skull, which Jim could certainly use. I also liked Ice Pick. Yes, Ice Pick. I was actually the card I was going to mention. You actually took the words out of my mouth. I really have enjoyed both the level one and the level three version. Uh, the level three version is just really nice, man. Like you get basically a deduction or a vicious blow on a stick, which is just really good. Another card that I've quite enjoyed as well is the Precious Memento. I've seen a lot of people get a lot of a lot of soak out of that card. Yeah, I think overall, I'm like looking through the set again, and there are quite a few cards here that I find myself playing with quite a bit. The the level three composures are another welcome addition to a lot of my decks. I, I've quite enjoyed having those cards. A counter espionage is a great card for uh, for rogues. That rogues made out pretty well in this set. I remember in our review mentioning that rogues had made out pretty well, and looking back at it, yeah, they they certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did do very well. Yeah, I, I can't seem to build a deck, the uh, a rogue deck, these days without building an underworld support version of it, just to see how it uh, how it looks. Um, I haven't really fleshed out the cards from the set so much as enjoyed playing through uh, the Edge of the Earth, and, and I just want to say, spoiler free, I really appreciate the steps that Maxine took along with the other members of the team that made the campaign to build the story, build the characters, to really immerse you in there and, you know, over time, how you can interact with the different uh, NPCs of sorts. So I just wanted to give props for that. It was a nice change of pace and, and made it really fun. So One eternity later. Also, um... For those of you who remember, or maybe for the people that came to Arkham Horror Beneath the Waves 2019, 
Uh, at that event, we had the uh, members of this podcast, Nate Lawson, Time and Space, Innkeeper Vase from Twisted Tentacle Inn, and of course, Man from Lang from Whisper in the Darkness. We had a great turnout, 62 people or so. We had fan-made scenarios. We had multi-tables doing Blob and, um, uh, what is it, the first one, Labyrinths of Lunacy. We had a How Far Could You Go Depths of Yoth Challenge, where people were given minor hats that could turn on. That was a lot of fun. But at that event, we had uh, also the scenario that Andrew Migliori and myself made called Lurker in the Lobby. Um, that has fully been fleshed out, finished, and play-tested. I have physical copies. I'm going to be doing a giveaway soon, so check out the the uh, the main group, Arkham Horror, the card game, and my group, Arkham Horror uh, Society of Lighthouse Keepers, the philanthropic positive group, because um, I'm going to be giving away a couple copies. And I hope to load it up on Arkham DB, or pardon, not Arkham DB, Arkham Central soon. The thing that I found difficult is... Uh, Andrew made a lot of those not using strange eons and uh, hand did all the editing for the pictures. So I've got to figure out if I can load them up in such a way on Arkham Central or online that people can print them off without a hassle. So I want to do it for people so that everybody can try it out. By the way, if you haven't um, signed up and want to get some extra content, make sure you go to patreon.com and check out the great old ones gaming um we would love to hear from you so is there anything else before trivia this week well speaking of patreon and of fan-made content i do want to give a quick shout out to friend of the show uh kodab games who has been part of a Part of the stream over the past couple of months, we've been playing through Cyclopean Foundations, like I mentioned earlier in the campaign. Uh, but he specifically, he's been playing uh, with a set of player cards that he has designed and is uh, looking for other players. My cat is the worst today. My goodness. Anyway, come here. Um, he is looking to have other players enjoy his cards. So if you're looking to perhaps help him play test his cards or uh, you're just looking for something new to try out, you can feel free to uh, reach him on Discord in the uh, custom and fan-made content portion of the Discord. And I'm sure he'd love to uh, love to send you those files. So, yeah. Yeah, his investigator is pretty neat. It's um, a survivor that's all about uh, shooting big two-weapon guns. So pretty neat. And he's got like a whole bunch of uh, bunch of guns and stuff that kind of support that archetype, which is. Yeah. Neat, so. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, I know we are down a person and we don't have a special guest, so we will do what we can with the questions we have. But I will uh, rapid fire these off if you want to give me an intro. So we have, uh, I mean, should I count myself? I mean, I know the answers, but. I mean, you are here. <laughs> that's bad if that's the qualifier. Hey, what we should do, what we should do, I don't think Vase will listen to this episode before uh, next time we're on. We should just ask him the, the questions and see. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> see if he gets any right. Okay, so fun fact, Vase, if you hear this, congratulations. You've proved me wrong, although that hasn't happened yet. Uh, so, uh, you can email uh, Carolyn Fern. Yeah. Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com. Do not email Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com until after we F with Vase because we need to do so. Okay. Here we go. Um, as usual, these are uh, a mixed bag of things. I'm just going to ask them in no uh, particular order and see how well we do. We're going to start off with a quote. The quote is, love is perhaps the strongest spell of all. It's from a survivor card, fairly new. Beloved? Correct. Aha. Did anything I say help, or were you already itching to do that one? It was on my mind, but I wasn't sure, and then he said survivor card, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, for the card Scout Ahead, what are the icons on the card? Two agility icons? Killing it. You are both crushing uh, vase. Um, seal of the Elder Sign, what is the, the uh, icons on that card? Uh, I think it's just a wild skill icon, right? That is correct. Cheater. That's weird. Yeah, man from Lang just I just I saw him type out. I think he meant to type you, but he's like, go sit and spin, whatever that means. Um icons on forced learning. There are no icons on forced learning. Point for man from Lang. Uh, I've I've blocked that card out of my memory. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what that card does. Um which investigator is known as the archaeologist? Monterey Jack? Correct. Good job. It also makes me want cheese. How much ammo is on the 25 automatic? Five? Four? Four is correct. Five would make sense, but tis the answer of four. Uh, this is going to be a quote. Name the card. 20 pounds of steel vengeance. Sledgehammer. Correct. Man from Lang. Bringing it up. Uh, what's his name? Peter Gabriel style. What are the icons on Get Behind Me? Uh, combat and agility. It's probably too many. Combat and a willpower? That is a Nate lost in time and space. Correct. Oh my goodness. I like. I can't believe I got that one. Right. What weapon does the person in the sidecar have in the card Narrow Escape? That's the one where they're tearing out of uh, the area. Beretta. Uh, I don't know. Unless there's a shotgun Beretta, which would kind of be like a dagger kukri. Um, what is the hazard depicted on Fool Me Once? I'm going to be real with you. I've never, I don't even remember what that artwork is. 
It's like a, is it like a, um, a tripwire? Correct. Exact correct answer. Uh, we're doing good. We're getting towards the end here. Just a few more questions. Thank you, listening audience, uh, for your yelling of answers or scoffing or whatever it is that people do. I just don't know. What are the icons on the council's coffer? Oh, jeez. Um, a wild icon? I don't know. That is correct. <laughs> Nate, lost in time and space. Just pulling crap out of your butt here is what it is. That or a willpower icon. What is the power toughness of the art student? One health, two sanity. Correct. Man from Lang, who has probably played the art student more than I have. Probably. For a bonus round, can you name people at FFG that work on Arkham Horror the card game? If so, stop, 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 stop. Stop it. Get some help. Say a number, and if the other person can say more than that number, they increase it. So I'll start at one. I can name one person. Okay. I can name two as well. Well, actually, I can name three because Nicholas Corey is also on there now, too. So. But you don't say the... Oh, God. All right. In a perfect world, we would have said numbers until one person said, okay, that person has to name that many. And then if they can't, well, see, you then need you to lose those many points. the rules for this contest before... Well, you just started blabbing the names I believe... You got a chance, okay, man. everybody shut your whore mouths. I want to say for the record, every single listener, including Vase, who will listen to this eventually, all understood exactly what I was doing before you two started blabbing your mouths. So... All right, for the sake of argument, who can name the most people? Definitely not me. So you said two for you? I would have said three, but I have the fourth on the tip of my tongue, but I can't quite. I can't Ooh, in that case, okay. I Let's say, hold on, man from Lang, to tie the game, name four people at FFG <laughs> that work on... Arkham Horror the Guardian. Oh, but I can't remember the fourth. That's the problem. List well, them off. Well, there's Maxie Newman, Jeremy Zwerne, Nicholas Corey, and then it's the fourth I can't get because he's the new guy. The newest. Uh, Nicholas Scott Corey is technically the newest to be well, honest. Well, he yeah, is. Nicholas. Yeah, Nicholas is the newest, but the, the second newest. I just listened to Maxine and this other newest person recently on I want to say it's the Mythos Busters it was a great interview I, can name, I think five if that's the case actually okay go ahead uh, so MJ Newman Jeremy Zwern uh, Duke Nicholas Corey and uh, gonna butcher her last name Katrina Austin something she's the story writer oh interesting you could have also Thank all you. said Nate Thank French you. Who started the ball rolling? Oh yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Eh. I guess we'll tie it up. Before this question, it was seven to four, Nate. By the way, with some really BS answers that you shouldn't have gotten. Hey, you're the one that poses these questions. I don't really think that's the point, and everybody agrees with me. So, <laughs> good try. It was like 
having a conversation. Uh, with in general, though, to the listening audience, we do apologize that it's been a while. Um, you know, with the mix of all the different things going on, it's been a little uh, trying to get together and record. But of course, we love all of you in the community. We love the game. We love all the great content coming up. And the next time we post, we're going to have, you know, Scarlet Keys is coming out soon. We might even get more spoilers. We might be able to play more fan-made content. So we look forward to having some more news for you. They did reveal at Gen Con there'll be some sort of bank heist scenario coming out down the road. So and there, we have that to look forward to as well. There is some tie-in story material for Scarlet Keys as well. So that is also something to look forward to. Have they announced the Bark Witch Legacy yet? They haven't, sadly. Or Cat Cosa, which I'm waiting for. Cat Cosa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hold on. What's after that? Uh, what would Forgotten be? Forgotten Mutt? I don't know. Well, yeah, rhyme just a little bit. Listen. Like, if it was cooking, it would be the Forgotten Sage. But now I want to build an entire campaign about cooking. This doesn't taste right. What did you forget? I have no idea. The Forgotten Bone? Oh, there you go. That would be a good one. All right, we, we saw okay, How does that run with Sage? The Circle of Yarn Undone. Okay, see, that was brilliant. And I want to play whatever the hell that is. See, the, the toughest one, I think, is Innsmouth, because... The Innsmouth Cowspiracy? We'd have to in- include Bovine, but I'm willing to go there. It'd be utterly it's horrible. Catspiracy? Well, it doesn't all have to be cats and dogs. I thought it did. I thought that was, like, the, the whole point. No, nah, no longer. No, I've now changed it, but I do like the uh, the circle untangled, undone, or whatever. I don't know how this end of this podcast has trailed off into this conversation, but I think, um, I think it's now an ephemerally awesome. It's transcended. <laughs> no other podcast is touching this content, okay? We are taking it to a whole new level. This is peak Arkham Horror content here, so... I think with that extreme high, we will uh, close off the episode. To Can't get any higher. <laughs> oh, geez. I have been your host with my lovely... Edge of the table instead of edge of the earth because the cats like to push. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Speaking of cats, I have been your host, Nate, lost in time and space with my cat who is now asleep. I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. Hey, and this is Nathan, just of the abyss. Strudel champion, moderator for Arkham Horror, uh, Society of Lighthouse Keepers on Facebook, and we appreciate you listening. Having an off weapon in a slot that guardians don't normally really care about is pretty nice my fucking cat dude <laughs> he's saying that the people in the dreamlands have sent a message through she is time so and space loud, to you i don't understand what her problem is <laughs>